had, uh, John, I'm going to do your job for you and announce we had Hadley Halbert on the keyboard leading us in our first song. And uh, our board has decided because of John's wife's illness, um, we said, hey, we're just going to give you time. And when you need to take that time, you go ahead and take that time uh, because there's a lot that he's got to do. Uh, essentially, his wife has leukemia and will be going through a bone marrow transplant. Uh, the good news is they found a second donor who's a little bit better than the last, which is really cool. Yeah, God is just <laughs> providing. So over these next few months, you're going to, you know, all of a sudden John won't be here and then he will be here because we've just said we want you to take as much time as you need to be with your family and take care of things um, on the hospital. And so next week we're going to have Hadley lead us in worship. So I'm excited about that. It's always cool to see when people are called by God and they just get up and fulfill that calling. Well, if you need a Bible this morning, uh, go ahead and raise your hand. We have an usher who will bring you those Bibles. And you could keep that if you don't have your own Bible. It's a gift from us to you. Um, we're going to be in Luke. Well, actually, we're going to be all over the Bible. So we're going to be in Luke 1, but just stick a thumb there. and We're, we're going to get to it eventually. Maybe not. You might need to go back to Deuteronomy a little bit, too. So just just go to the Bible where I, where I tell you. But let me start with a, a quick story. Just do what I say. This is like the only place in my life where I could say turn something and someone does it. At home, I'm like, hey, I need everybody to do this. And my kids are like, whatever, Dad, just talk. No, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. They do listen and respect me. Uh, they're just too loud to hear me sometimes. Uh, about nine years ago, before we had kids, um, we, I was at a board meeting here at this church. It was a Saturday morning. And uh, I, my wife texted me and said, let's meet for lunch. And I was like, cool, I'm hungry. So we met for lunch afterwards. And I was excited because the new James Bond movie had just come out. And my wife said, I'll take you to go see the new James Bond movie. So I was like, cool, we'll, we'll go do that. So we sit down at lunch, and we're eating, and I'm talking about this board meeting, and we're just chatting away. And mainly I'm doing all the talking. My wife is asking me how it all went and everything. And um, all of a sudden, just in the middle probably of a sentence, she said, I'm pregnant. And I was just like, ah. I mean, nine years ago, I was still in seminary. I was underemployed. I, uh, I, I wasn't quite full-time. I, I kind of had a couple jobs. I was working on making more money. I didn't, was scared to be a father. And there was just this deep feeling of dread that came over my life and excitement all at the same time. And I, I don't really know how to, like, say it. You, you kind of need to be on the other end of that conversation to know how that is. Because it was like, oh, this is amazing. Oh, I'm so scared. You know, it was all in the same time. And a couple weeks later, I was surfing with some friends, and I was just kind of sort of confiding in them. And one of my friend's dads was there, and he's had grown kids for a while. And I just said to him, I was like, man, I'm scared. And he goes, well, this is why God builds in nine months, so you could prepare. And I was like, I mean, he basically said something my own dad said to me. He's like, well, get going. What are you waiting for? Get moving. Um, and it was like, wow, okay, that... That really helped me out. So essentially, sometimes there's these points in your life where you just get these large pronouncements and fear comes over you. Luckily, um, I've had those moments in my life. You know, babies tend to do this. Many of you, if we're honest, probably have those moments where you found out your spouse is pregnant, guys, and you went, <gasps> what am I going to do? <laughs> I mean, you were excited, but you were like, what are we going to do? I'm not ready for this. And all of a sudden, um, you get to Scripture and you realize that you're not alone. 
you realize that all the people that were announced to have babies had this great fear come over them. And today that's what we're going to look at. There was this uh, baby that was born, John the Baptist. Parents had great fear about this. And yet they were told, this guy is going to prepare the way. This kid is going to create a people prepared for the Lord. So as we get to the Christmas narrative, one of the things we realize throughout the Bible is, is that God commanded his people to not be afraid. I mean, it's one thing to just say, oh, don't, don't be afraid. But it's another thing entirely to actually not be afraid. Because so many of us have told people, well, what, do you have, what do you have to be afraid of? What do you have to worry about? What do you have to, you know, relax. Don't, don't bother. Don't even be afraid. You'll be fine. But it's, on the other, it's another thing entirely to be on the other side of that situation and to actually be afraid of the unknown, of what you don't know, of what you could lose. So before we get to the birth narrative of Jesus this morning, all through the Old Testament, there's this narrative of not being afraid. And I just wanted to invite you to go with me just on a, on a quick biblical journey. I'm going to just talk a little bit about Deuteronomy for a moment. Um, at one point, at one point, I'm, I'm getting known for my really long uh, going through a book of the Bible series. And so at one point, I've been eyeballing Deuteronomy, but I'm not going to hit that on you just yet. There's a lot of chapters there, and I'm not sure I'm ready for it emotionally and personally. <laughs> uh, so for nor- nearly 400 years, Israel had been slaves. They had been captive in Egypt. And all they knew was slavery. For 400 years, that's all they knew. They were held captive by their slave drivers. They were held captive by Pharaoh. Not only were they physically enslaved, but they were also mentally enslaved as well. After 400 years of this, your mind begins to be enslaved by that of Pharaoh and what Pharaoh wants. These were people who were timid. These were people who were afraid. These were people who were not necessarily marked by courage, but marked by fear. And as God called them out of Egypt... He consistently told them all the way from Exodus all the way to Deuteronomy that they had to not be afraid. God wanted to prepare a people full of courage and not fear. So before we get to, to the scripture this morning, I just, there's two themes that roll through the book of Deuteronomy. One is man's utter weakness and inability to accomplish things in his own strength. And you see this all through the book of Deuteronomy. That man cannot accomplish anything outside of God's help. And God continually showed them all the way through their journey. He brought them out of Egypt. Man wasn't able to part the Red Sea. That was God. It wasn't Moses who fed the manna. It it wasn't Moses who brought the water to Iraq. It was all God. It It wasn't Moses who sustained them. It was God. Over and over and over again. I mean, their sandals did not wear out. It was God who sustained them over and over and over again. So theme one, the utter weakness of man and our own ability to accomplish things in our own strength. Theme two is God's continual abiding presence. One of the things I like to ask, that's a great question to ask of the Bible is, where is God? In in fact, if you take it sort of as a timeline and and you ask the question, where is God? In the Exodus, he's parting them through the waters and then he's a burning bush and then he is a cloud and he's leading his people. And then he's in the tabernacle in, in Jerusalem and in the temple, and, and he's in the Holy of Holies, and then all of a sudden they get exiled, and in the book of Isaiah it says that he, he kind of hovers over them as they go into exile. That's how he's with them. And then, starting in the book of Matthew, he's born among us. 
But in the book of Deuteronomy, God's continual abiding presence is all over the place. In fact, you keep reading over and over and over again, I will be with you, I will be with you, I will be with you. Over and over again. So two themes, the dependence on God and two, God's presence in their life. When Moses sent out the 12 spies to look at the promised land, 10 came back and said, we can't do it, it's too big, it it will fail. There's giants there. And Joshua and Caleb came back and said, are you kidding? The Lord is with us. It doesn't matter who's there. Let's go fight. And of course they did, and they took the promised land. So Deuteronomy 31. In fact, all through the book of chapter, or chapter 31, uh, you, you see this, but, and you don't necessarily have to turn there because I'm just doing a couple quick verses. We'll get into longer ones in, in Matthew, I mean in Luke. Deuteronomy uh, 31, 6. Joshua is told, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's told this three times in this chapter, over and over and over again. And in fact, he gets to, we get to a point um, to where Joshua chapter 1 comes up, and God tells him again, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. God needs a different kind of people, a different kind of fear-ridden, enslaved people. Somehow this desert experience of 40 years was supposed to transform them into a people who maybe they're afraid, but they acted in courage. That's us, by the way. It's okay to be afraid. It's a human emotion. It's not a sin to be afraid. This is just a basic human emotion that you get. And many social scientists tell us that we get these emotions and it actually saves her life. And that's a good thing. So it's okay to be afraid. Fear happens. The question is, what do you do with it? Do you act in courage? Or to use like an old Western movie uh, word, are you a coward? Are you, do you act in courage or in cowardice? Why does God mention this over and over and over and over again? All the way through the Old Testament. There's always these stories. One, I, I, I think it's, it's this. You see God's life and God moving. Moses was afraid. Moses couldn't handle it. Moses even said, send someone else. Send my brother. He could speak eloquently. I can't do it. But God used Moses in his courage to lead people out of, the, out of in the Exodus. He led Joshua to conquer Jericho. Because he was strong and courageous. You see Gideon over and over again. God, I am the weakest of my clan. I, I cannot defeat the Midianites. I can't do it. You, you called me great and mighty, but I'm not the guy. He was afraid. And yet, he acted in the courage that he had. And God used him to free his nation. You see it in David and Goliath. What does David say? All these other people, in fact, the whole army of Israel is cowering in fear and, and David basically says, what do we have to be afraid of? Our God is bigger than his God. Let's go. Let's just do it. There was not even a question. So was David afraid? Maybe. But I think he had the confidence of God in him. My point is to tell you over and over and over again in the Old Testament, all you see is be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Because God is with you. Now when the spies go into Jericho... Rahab, the prostitute, who's, who's leading them through and showing them around the weaknesses of, of Jericho, says to them this in, in chapter 2, verse 9. And, and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land 
And that great fear has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. So you have this picture now, this picture of Israel who's strong and courageous, this this picture of people who have lived for 40 years in dependence on their God, who've lived for 40 years knowing that God is in control, and now you have the people of Jericho up against this great army melting in fear because they don't have the same kind of dependencies on the same kind of God. The Canaanites lived in fear because they knew the Lord was with them. I mean, I wonder how many of us so many times say, oh, God's, God's good, God's got this, but we're just melting in fear. Like I said, the emotion of sin itself is not a sin or anything like that. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. He says, the act of cowardice is all that matters. The emotion of fear is not a sin in itself. Many of us have fear at times, but it's what we do with it. So with that being said, let's go to Luke chapter 1. Before John the Baptist came, I mean, I'm sorry, before Jesus came, John the Baptist had to come. Somebody in the spirit of Elijah to, to, to um, prepare a people for the Lord. So uh, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 11, we're going to look at verses 11 um, through 17. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call him John. For he will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will, he will never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents of their children into, and the disobedient to the wisdom and the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So Zechariah at this time, is he's an older gentleman, he's one of the priests, and he was selected by casting lots to go into the temple and to offer the incense and prayers and, uh, to God. And as he's doing this, an angel shows up and says, guess what? You're going to have a baby. And he's an older guy, and, and so he just went, what? I, he didn't believe it. He was afraid. He was gripped with fear, the scripture says. I know that. My wife came to me one time nine years ago and said, I'm going to have a baby. And I was like, what? You are? And then like nine months after that, oh, I'm sorry, seven months after our daughter was born, my wife woke me up at 6.30 in the morning and said, hey, I got something to tell you. And I said, what? She goes, I'm pregnant again. <laughs> it said, you're just being worried. Go back to sleep. That's Lucy. <laughs> she was. <laughs> so <laughs> so Zechariah was ministering before God. An angel comes up and tells him what's going to happen. Don't be afraid. Let's keep going real quick because there's all these stories. Jump with me down to verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God, said, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin uh, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. So now an angel shows up to Mary, and what does he say? Other than the divine birth announcement, he says, Do not be afraid. We're going to dig in more to what the angel says in in another time. But right now, we're just going to look at those verses. Do not be afraid. Let me jump to Matthew chapter 1 real quick, uh, verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, Yeshua, which literally means salvation in the Hebrew. So now an angel has showed up to Mary, an angel showed up to Joseph, an angel showed up to Zechariah. And finally, if you're still in Luke, chapter 2, verse 8. And this is the great, this is what we'll read really on Christmas Eve. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. By the way, if you saw the glory of the Lord, you might be a little terrified too. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. So now we have Zechariah, we have Mary, we have Joseph, and we have the shepherds, all hearing the divine birth announcement. And the number one thing that is told to them before these birth announcements is, do not be afraid. If you think about this, I believe that God knew that these things would be written down for future generations. I mean, obviously, he knew this account would be recorded. And, and so in the beginning of the Gospels, in the beginning of the birth of Jesus, we consistently hear over and over and over again, a new thing is coming. Something great is coming. Someone who will save you from your sins is coming. Don't be afraid to embrace it. Don't be afraid to embrace it. Zechariah and Elizabeth were a remnant of the Old Testament law, period. Elizabeth was barren. She couldn't have children. Barrenness was often seen as a punishment for sin. But in in this case, it it represented an entire people who were barren for, for years. And if you think about it, there was 400 years where the Lord was silent in the intertestament period. 400 years. Kind of like the 400 years where they were slaves in Egypt that were basically unrecorded. And now they represent the Old Testament law, and they're told, do not be afraid. Mary was a virgin. She's symbolic of something new, something brand new happened. So you have this old barren woman and this young virgin sort of just pitted against each other here. All the characters in this story are told, do not be afraid, and you instinctively know what I'm about to say next. If you allow it, and many of you have, I have at different times in my life, fear will take over your life. If you allow it, fear can cause you to act in ways that you never would before. If you allow it, fear causes you to act irrationally and to make decisions that don't honor God. The the strongest story that I could think of in in the story of fear is the American Revolution. I love that period of history, by the way. I'm a 
I'm a big nerd about history. And General Clinton was the commander-in-chief of the, the, the British forces. And he was getting conflicting information from Washington. Now Washington was sending misinformation and all this, and there was a fight in the South, and then a fight for New York, and all this stuff. And essentially what happened was Clinton didn't have all the good information, and he was paralyzed. He had just suffered a giant defeat in the South. And he was paralyzed about what decision to make next. And Washington simply marched his troops in and took over. He was afraid, and he allowed fear to so overtake him that he was defeated. Now, I personally am glad he was defeated at that point. I'm kind of glad that fear overtook General Clinton. You know, poor guy, his legacy in England, in England was kind of tarnished. But I'm kind of glad. Thank you. Yeah, why not? Yeah, because now we, we have the nation that we have today. But my point is this. Fear paralyzes you. It paralyzed General Clinton from making a decision in his life. It overtook him. He couldn't handle the decisions that had to be made. And, and, and military historians say that if he had just made the right decisions, the, the country would have, England would have won. They could have absolutely decimated Washington's troops had they just made the right decisions, but he was so fearful that he decided to make no decisions. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there in your life? It gets there, and I think that in the gospel accounts of Jesus being born, it's saying a new thing is coming. Don't be afraid. God wants to make you new. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of losing the old stuff. God wants something new in your life. Don't be afraid. I think the person who really lives this out in the Gospels and in the Bible is the Apostle Paul. I shouldn't say the Gospels because he doesn't really show up in the Gospels. He shows up in his own writings and in the book of Acts. And I think the deal with fear is this. You're usually afraid because you have something to lose. That's usually why we become afraid. is because we're afraid we're going to lose something. We're afraid that that, that maybe we would die, or maybe we'd lose money, or maybe we'd lose standing, or maybe we'd lose status, or maybe we would lose something. And, and I love Paul's attitude. All through the book of Acts, Paul is this guy who didn't have to survive. He sort of embodied that gospel message right in the very beginning of, of the gospels, do not be afraid. Because when he had Jesus with him, the man just was not afraid. One last scripture this morning, and then we'll begin to wrap it up. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. This is Paul talking here. He says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I want you to think about that scripture for a second. What do you do with a guy like Paul, who simply says in the scripture, I don't have to survive? He's basically saying, kill me, fine, I'll go be with God. Or let me live, great, I got more work to do. What do you do with a person like that? A number of years ago, when I was a youth pastor, I had a parent call me, and they said, Pastor Dave, I don't know what to do. My kid is going crazy. I, I've taken this away, I've taken this away, I've taken this away, I've taken this away, I've taken this away. Basically, they sit in their room, and they do nothing all day. I don't know what to do. And I said, well, I think what's happened is that you've given them nothing to lose anymore. And all of a sudden, now everything is permissible, right? Now they could just do whatever they want because they got nothing to lose. And the parent went, that's exactly what's going on. 
And that was just a moment. I didn't have kids yet. That was just a, I, I didn't have kids, but I had about 20 teenagers. It was just wisdom from that time. But when you, when you have nothing to lose and you love Jesus, you will act in courage. And you will take that fear and, and it'll go aside and, and you'll say, God, I'm sold out to you. When you're sold out to Jesus, then you've got nothing to lose. When you say, my entire life, when you, when you look at Paul's words here and say, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me, it's, it's nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the good news. If that's you, then you're basically saying, I don't have to survive. And when you say, I don't have to survive, then what you're doing there is you're saying, I'm not allowing fear to grip me. I'm not allowing the, the stuff of the world to grip me because my task is to follow Jesus in a deep and a bold way, and to not allow fear to define who I am. Not allow fear to define the next steps in my life. Because I've got a dependence on God, and God is with me. So what do you do with a guy like Paul? You can't kill him. He'd be happy. He'd be fine with that. You can't let him live, I mean, because he's great with that too. He's got lots of work to do. And even from prison and solitude, we know the dude could write letters, Right? So what do you do with a guy like that? And I find it interesting that John the Baptist, his mission was to create a people prepared for the Lord. To create a people prepared for the Lord. The question is, we're not going to have, last week I talked about Jesus being born in us. None of you are going to go birth the divine messenger of, of, of Christ, right? We're not going to go do that physically. But are you birthing the message of Christ? Are you birthing the message of Jesus into your life? I mean, we're not going to birth the divine messenger, but will you birth the divine message in your life? And will you show this world what it looks like to not be afraid? Will you show this world what it looks like to walk in courage, not because you're so strong, but because you walk with God? How will you do that? How will you live like you have nothing to lose? Now, keep in mind, if you have a lot to lose... You've got a lot to be afraid of. But if you're walking with Jesus, you have nothing to lose. So today, I want to just invite the band to, to come forward. We're going to pray in a moment. Um, today, we've just set up this little cross over here to the side. And maybe there's some of you here today, you're like, I got a lot of fears. I just got a lot of stuff going on in my life. And you just want to sort of, in a symbolic way, write those down and just give those to Jesus. You just want to put them aside. We have some tax on that cross. If you just want to pray over that and say, Lord, this is my offering today. This is my fear. I want to give that to you. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much that in the announcement of your son coming, you've reminded us that you will be with us, not just now, but for eternity. Lord, we remember that you are closer than the very air that we breathe. And we have nothing to fear. Lord, yet we walk through these doors and we have many things, many moments of reality hitting us. There's fires. God, there's debts. There's all sorts of things. There's relationships where we have things. Lord, we have many fears if we're to be really honest with ourselves. So Lord, I pray that you would use this time. Lord, to that we might be able to give these fears over to you. 
Lord, because we ourselves cannot handle them. Only you can. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall